Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this temple made of time. We enter into it, we've entered into it today, not out of trying to appease any wrath or even to fulfill any law. We do so in recognition of your love for us. We thank you for this gift. May we learn now and may we understand more fully how to also share this gift with others as a blessing unto others by our witness. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, choir. Appreciate it. I actually want to start with something that has nothing to do with my sermon. And uh, so I just found out about it a minute ago, and I didn't tell them I was going to do this, but I'm going to do it because they're sitting right here, and I saw them when I s stood up. Um, I'm going to ask uh, the Bueno family if they would come forward just for a second. Alex and Lanessa and Lucas and Nina, if they would come forward just for a second. Sorry to interrupt. I'm not gonna make you climb the stairs. Vanessa has a hurt foot, so I won't make her climb the stairs. I'll come right here. But I'm actually asking them to come forward because I just found out just a few minutes ago that Alex is being deployed, surprise deployment, uh, somewhere in the Middle East, in which he's not able to share with me, uh, for, uh, for six months on this Thursday. So uh, I just wanted to uh, pray for them. Alex works within the medical unit and um, we want to pray for, of course, Alex's safety. But we also want to pray for the family that's here. So obviously they thought that they weren't going to, uh, one of the reasons why they actually left where they were at to come up here is because they thought this limits our deployment. And, uh, but when, uh, I guess, you're as gifted as Alex, they, uh, they uh, call for you even outside of your unit. And so he's being uh, deployed there in the Middle East for six months. And so we just want to pray for Nina and Lucas and, of course, Lanessa. And, uh, and uh, especially as you're on one foot and having to deal with uh, kids. We're glad the kids are a little bit older. Yeah. Kids, help your mom. But we're going to pray for them right now. So can we just bow our heads and pray for this family? Jesus, I want to pray. I want to lift up to you the Bueno family. I want to pray for, um, first of all, for Alex as he travels and as he's there in the Middle East, that you will uh, put your hand of protection over him and his units and all of our military that are there, Lord. We desire peace in this world uh, so that there doesn't have to be these types of events. So we pray for that as well. But I pray for your hand of protection over Alex as he serves, as he ministers to the needs over there. He's in his medical unit, Lord, as he ministers to those who are in our need and in help, as he leads others uh, and trains others as he's there. Lord, I pray that you will bless him. Uh, may he be a witness for you. We're here on this Sabbath day and we know that there are challenges even to, to his understanding, his keeping of the Sabbath there while he's overseas. So we pray for him, Lord. In the midst of his service, may he, may he sense your presence and watch over him. We pray for Lanessa as she's here, uh, back in, in the States here, that you will be with her, that you will uh, watch over her, that you will give her strength, that extra measure of energy and extra measure of faith, Lord, as, as there's the challenges of 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 knowing that her husband's in an in a unsafe place and also in, in dealing with a family and all the issues related to family on her own. So please be with her, Lord. And her foot, continue to bring healing to that, we pray. I pray for Lucas and Nina uh, while their dad's away. Watch over them, Lord Jesus. Please uh, protect them, keep them safe. Also, uh, may they um, know how much their dad loves them. And uh, please uh, 
put in their hearts your care for them. While, while he's away, Lord, I pray that you will, will, you will stand in his stead there and uh, be, their, be their dad, put your arms around them. Lord, as a church family, may we be always committed to praying for peace in this world, but also while there is not peace, may we pray for those that are serving our country in harm's way. And may we remember them. We thank you, Lord, for this family, the blessing that they've been over these last months since they've joined us, and just continue to be near them. Lord, may we be a service to the Bueno family while Alex is gone, and uh, make sure that we love and care for them, too, so that he can know that they're in good hands also. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Anyways, we love you. We're praying for you. So, yep. Love you guys. Thank you for letting me do that. We want to keep them in our prayers. You all that have prayer lists, go ahead and write their names down. The Bueno family. Let's keep them in prayer and mindful of them. We are finishing up our series on the Sabbath this morning. Entitled, Remember. We begun every sermon with those first four words that are in pretty much every Bible, no matter what translation or version you have. Remember the Sabbath day. And today in this last sermon, we are going to look at how the Sabbath, how we can be witnesses through the Sabbath. We've looked at the experience of the Sabbath, that the experience of the Sabbath should be one of celebration, not of gloom and doom, that we shouldn't... That the Sabbath experience should not simply be about refraining from work or, or sleeping, although those are both good things and okay to do within the context of the Sabbath. But that, but that the Sabbath should be a celebration. We should have joy and, and enthusiasm related to it. We talked about the foundation of that celebration. What we focus on is our creator and our savior. We, we want to build a theology. Yes, there's boundaries in regards to the Sabbath, but we don't want to build a theology around the idea of the Sabbath is only about boundaries and obeying a law, but we want it to be about that the focus is our Savior and our Creator, that we were, that we were made with love, that we are saved with love, that we, are, uh, that we have an intercessor who, who, over, uh, who, who continues to guide and protect us with love. And last week we talked about how holiness in time exists with or without us. I mentioned that in many of our Sabbath schools growing up, we heard the statement or we heard the phrase, we heard the phrase, what can we do to make Sabbath holy? What can we do to make Sabbath holy? And we talked about how you and I, we in fact can do nothing to make Sabbath holy. There's nothing that you can do or I can do to make Sabbath more or less holy. Sabbath is holy because God spoke it, uh, spoke it into being because God declared it to be so. And so the question isn't what can we do to make Sabbath holy, but rather what do we desire to do or are we willing to enter into that holiness in time? And that date, that 24-hour date with God. And in our last message, I want us to look at how the Sabbath addresses a reality, a, a challenge that is prevalent in society, a, a difficulty within our, our, our current society. And one of the ways the Bible instructs us in relationship to the Sabbath, how we can overcome that dangerous reality that is within our society. The reality of our society that I'm speaking of is the, is the reality that, that we are becoming more and more with increasing rapidity a individualistic society a very individualistic society. We're becoming more and more of the mindset of that's none of my business or, or 
I, I don't need to say anything there or I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. I'll just leave them alone. I'll, 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 I'll let them handle their own world. And since we live in this world of this individualistic society, since we live in this world and in this society, although we are believers in Christ, we are still susceptible to this individualistic mindset. We are still uh, in danger of allowing individualism to infiltrate our personal lives and our personal journeys. I hear it in the way that I talk and in the way others talk. I hear it in the way that we act, I, or I see it in the way that we act. I, I recognize it in the way that we sometimes even share our beliefs, or rather are unwilling to share our beliefs for the sake of not wanting to bother anyone, wanting to stay in our own little cocoon. But one of the main themes of the Bible one of the main themes that, that, that exists throughout the entire Bible is the theme of community, is the theme of community. At the very beginning of Scripture, the very beginning of the narrative of Scripture, we hear God say, let us make man in our image. And we realize in that phrase that there's already per plurality that exists in the universe. There's already some form of community that exists. We see that God makes Adam, and when he makes Adam, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so, so he, he says, I will make him a helpmate. Call her woman, and, and, and they will walk together. They will journey together, and, and God creates this community. And the theme of community continues to go on throughout the Bible. And with others in our lives, with, with this idea of community, if it had just been Adam alone, he would have had him and the animals. But with, when God created us, when God made us in community, that along with that comes some form of responsibility. The responsibility to care for one another, the responsibility to, to, to hurt with one another, to laugh with one another, to, to help one another grow, to, to protect others, to teach others, to be a blessing to others. That's part of what it means to be within this context of community. Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel. You may remember the story. Cain got upset with Abel and the anger grew into fury and the, the fury grew into a murder. God came to Cain and asked about his brother's murder. What was Cain's response? Genesis chapter 4 verse 9 God came and said, where's your brother? And, and Cain answered him and says, I do not know. And then he said, am I my what? Am I my brother's keeper? This was Cain's question. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain, you have a responsibility to your brother, to your community, to others. But he's asking, am I my brother's keeper? God, of course, gave him the answer. I know the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In other words, God's answer to Cain was, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you have a responsibility because of this relationship to, to care for your brother, not to bring harm to your brother. The theme continues throughout the Bible in the book of Jonah. The story of Jonah, we read a story about a man named Jonah whom God asked to go to a city called Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't wanna go to this city to Nineveh. God says, I want you to go to the city in Nineveh and I want you to rebuke them. I want you to tell them, point out where they're, where they're going astray. And if they continue to go down that path, destruction will come upon them. And Jonah says, I don't want to go to this city in Nineveh. And so as the story goes, he runs away and he gets on a boat headed to Tarshish. And as he goes on this boat, of course, there's a storm and eventually he's thrown into the water and God sends a giant fish 
to swallow Jonah. And he spends some time there in the belly of that fish. And he repents. And then he gets spit out onto dry land. And if the first time you're hearing this story ever, then yes, it is a weird story. But I believe it to be true. But he spits out this, he gets spit out onto dry land and he ends up going to Nineveh. And, Nin, and Jonah goes to Nineveh and he shares God's message. And, and it turns out that all the people repent and God forgives them. God blesses them. God, God puts his loving arms around them and thanks them for their repentance. And the Bible tells us that Jonah goes and sits, under, sits down on the ground and we are told that he, he pouts. Anyone ever pouted when they've seen someone else getting a blessing they don't think they should get? You don't have to answer. In your heart, you're all answering right now. And here's what Jonah said. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, this, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah was upset that God had blessed and forgiven the people. He didn't want to be a blessing to people. He didn't like that God had used him to be a blessing to the people. Interesting for someone that's supposed to be in the context of God's community that he didn't want to be a blessing to others outside of that community. Then the story continues in Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. And I apologize that I'm not using, I'm using my Bible. It's in my notes, but I'm not picking up my Bible here. And I want to ask you real quick for prayer, if you would. I was in Virginia for some conference meetings this week, and I had one of my Bibles, my preaching Bible, with me. And... Uh, I misplaced it somewhere uh, in, the, in the hurry of headed to the hospital, and so I hope that you will pray uh, that I can find that Bible. It's not that I don't have other Bibles, but that was my, one of my preaching Bibles, but it also was my ordination Bible. And so I have a note in there for, from Pastor Dwight Nelson who ordained me and, and some other things. So if you could pray for that, you can pray one or two things. Pray either God locates it, or if not, you can pray that it falls in the hands of someone who doesn't know Jesus. They read it, and they accept Jesus, and then it's all good. It's all worth it. So... So if I lose a Bible and someone comes to know Jesus, praise the Lord. So, but if you pray for that, but, but that's why I'm not, I'm not quite as, you know, preachers, can you agree with me, preachers? You, when you know a Bible, you can literally pick it up and open it, and you know exactly where you're at. And in first service, I was trying to open my Bible to exactly these texts, and I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't know where that, that's harder to find. Anyways, back to what I was saying. Sorry about that little distraction. But but God then comes in, in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 4. But the Lord replied, have you any right? He says to Jonah. Remember, Jonah's upset because God's blessed these people. He says, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself, verse 5, a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to sh give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Jonah was very happy to receive the blessings of, of God himself. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Listen to Jonah's reply. Maybe some of us have had this reply. I do. 
I do have a right. I'm entitled to my anger. That's what Jonah said to God. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord says, you have concerned, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Here God is saying to Jonah, look, you're appreciative of the blessings that I give to you, but you're not supportive of the blessings for others. You're unwilling to be used as a blessing to others. You don't have a right to be angry. I made those people, God says. Your job is to bless them, to be a witness to them, and to be content with that, even joyful in that. Then in the New Testament book of Luke, we read the story of the paralytic who was lowered through a roof by his friends. Luke chapter five, and beginning in verse 17. Luke chapter five, beginning in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, speaking of Jesus, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought a on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. Verse 19. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And listen to this, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the community, not just one sick man's faith, although I'm sure he had faith as well, but the faith of his community, his friends, y'all, the desired reality of God for his followers is that we will not be individualistic, but we'll be always open, always open to how we might be a blessing to our immediate community and to the greater community. How we might be able to, to reach others, how we might be able to, to bless others, how we might be able to guide and gently steer others into God's path, how we might be able to, to, to instruct others, that we will care enough about people, that we will think in every area of our life, how can we be a witness? And that we will want God's blessing upon everyone, no matter who they are. As we receive the blessings of God, they will say, you know what, I wish that blessing was for them as well. I wish they would have that blessing as well. I wish they would receive that blessing as well. We'll place right in the middle of the fourth commandment. God shows us that community is important to God in relationship to the Sabbath commandment. In relationship to the Sabbath commandment. Exodus chapter 20, Esther read it to us today. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Here's this individualistic moment or this individual application. You nor your son, now it goes to the community though. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. It starts off with, you shall not do any work, individual. But then it says, not only should you not do any work, not only should you receive the blessing of Sabbath, but your son and your daughter should read the blessing of Sabbath. 
the, the male servant, the female servant, even, even the cattle. If you're an animal lover in here, you should love our Lord. You should love how much he loves animals. In Jonah, we just read a second ago, he says to Jonah, there's 120,000 people, not to mention all the animals, all the cattle. And here, in the commandment of God, he mentions even the animals. So, so all of you animal lovers out there, bless your hearts. Um, I'm not one of them personally, but I love you anyways. And uh, I'm glad that the Lord loves the animals, and you can pray for me, because obviously he loves the animals as well. But God gives this list, because community is the desired reality of God for his people. The blessing is never just about me, myself, and I. God's blessings are to be spread around, to be a blessing to all people, including the idea of rest, including the blessing of rest to all peoples in all communities. The list starts with the individual person, but then it moves. It then moves to your son nor your daughter. John Dibdahl wrote this. He wrote, the Sabbath day is humanitarian. All humans and animals are blessed with a day off. The Sabbath day should be, is, is for those of, of, of our young people, I think of our, 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 our millennial, uh, millennials uh, who are socially conscious, one of the, one of the most socially conscious doctrines in, in, in Adventism is the doctrine of the Sabbath. It's a, it's a humane doctrine that, that teaches that, that all people deserve rest, deserve the blessing of rest. Dibdahl also refers to the Sabbath as egalitarian. God shows no favorites in this beautiful gift of the Sabbath. He desires for all people to be blessed with the holiness of time. And we play as Christians, we as Christians have a part to play in that blessing to others. And the commandment says, you nor your son nor your daughter. It starts first and foremost, folks, with our children. When God made us in community, he made us male and female. And then through, through male and female, he blessed us with, with children. And with children, there comes this responsibility to pass on those blessings, to teach those blessings, to instruct in those blessings. Speaking to parents, let me speak as a parent to parents. Folk, this is a huge responsibility. We must teach, parents, we must teach our kids about the true value and the beauty of the Sabbath. We must look for ways within our, our home to make the Sabbath a blessing, to make it something special. To, we must look for opportunities to teach our kids that, that there is something different between the sacred and the secular. We must look for opportunities to teach our kids that, that, that if they really embrace the sacred, putting aside the things that they please for that day, that, that they actually will enjoy their journey with Jesus more than they could have ever imagined. This is a huge responsibility. This is what God asks of us as parents. This is our sacred duty as parents. Right after Deuteronomy 5, when God gives the commandments again in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7, he says to us, you shall teach them, speaking of parents, you shall teach them diligently to your children the commands of God and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Parents, 
if we do not spend the time, if we do not invest the time to teach our kids about the sacred, then who will? Then who will? Don't think the school will. Don't think the church will. It's not the school or the church's responsibility. They're a secondary to help the parents. It's the parents' responsibility. It's our responsibility as parents. Parents, if we don't model for them the blessing and the beauty and the joy of the Sabbath, then who will? Now, many were raised with a legalistic bent towards the Sabbath, and they're, they're scared to, to do that to their kids. And we've been talking about that over the last several weeks. That's not what we're advocating. You don't have to teach them the way that you, taught, you were taught. You can show them that the Sabbath can be about a celebration to Jesus, a, a rejoicing in Jesus. Yes, there's boundaries and there's, there's structure, but the boundaries, we can show them, are, are easy. They are not a burden when, they are, when we are keeping them because of our love for Jesus. I've heard many parents say in my life, well, I can't say no to everything. Parents, yes, you can. When it is in certain contexts, when they're a certain age, yes, you can. When I was a kid, all I wanted to do was, was play sports. And all I wanted to do was play sports on Sabbath because a lot of opportunities in my life were, were my parents said, no, you can't do that. And I remember as a kid being upset, but, but as my parents, as I grew older and I began to understand the Sabbath more and more, I was so glad that as a kid, they helped me to see that there was a difference between the sacred and the secular, between the sacred and the secular. That They taught me that there was, there was something higher than just playing a game, that there was time, a date with my Savior. There was a date with my Savior. Parents of young kids, I encourage you to be the teacher of your children. Don't hope they just pick it up somewhere along the way. Show them the value even now. Let me say to the parents who have children that are older, speaking now as, as, a, as a 38-year-old, as a 38-year-old, you still have an influence on your children. You still have an influence on us. One of my best friends is my dad, and his opinion and his insight and his his. His counsel still is a blessing to me in my life. And we still watch them. We still observe them. Your kids still observe you. I remember one parent said to me, one parent said to me, uh, I met, I was speaking with this parent. I said, they had said they had started coming back to church. And I said, oh, that's so great. I said, uh, they said, yeah, when our kids graduated from school, I have to admit we kind of got, got off track. And, and, and now we're hoping that us coming back will, will help them to come back. And I said, well, when did they leave? And they said, well, not long after we left. And I said, can I ask you, you know, in your, when you say you, you stopped going, well, you know, we'd been doing, we, we'd had such strict Sabbaths for so long that, that I have to admit, our wife, my wife and I, we just kind of thought, you know what, we just want to be free for a little bit. And so we started going shopping and we started going to the movies and uh, and. and now we're looking at our kids and they're not coming to church anymore and they're not bringing their kids to church anymore and, and they're going shopping into the mood. I said, you know, you are still an example. You're still a witness in this thing that you do, in this thing that you do. I think about my parents, though, and Christina and I, we think about, uh, I look, we talk about our, my, my mom and dad and we say, you know, when we get old, we want to be like them. Not that they're that old, I apologize. But when they get old, when we get older, 
we want to be like them. I mean, my parents have been married a long time, and my mom's not perfect, and my dad's not perfect, but they both adore each other, and they will defend each other to the hilt, and they love each other, and, and my mom still sits on my dad's lap, and they still walk around and hold hands, and, and my mom will be reading her iPad in the car, and we'll be sitting in the back, and she's playing with his hair, and it's just, it's just they're just, like, they're just almost gross still, even, and... Uh, but Christine and I say, man, we want to be like that after we've been married that long, after we've been together that long. We still want to, I mean, it's still an example. Folks, we're still an example. And you're still an example even in life in regards to some of these things like, like Sabbath and other such things. God calls us as parents. We never stop being parents. God calls us as parents to be examples. We are to instruct our kids. You can't force them anymore when they're grown, grown up, but you can still be a witness. You can still be a witness. Y'all, your kids need to, you to teach them about the blessing of the Sabbath. God then moves from the kids to the servants. He says, nor your, your male servant, nor your female servant. And this speaks directly to those of us who have people that work for us within the context of our business, our businesses or, or our, our jobs. I know that oftentimes there is the temptation to keep the, the business going as usual, oftentimes because those who, who may work for us do not, are not quote-unquote Sabbatarians or they do not hold the same beliefs as we do. But again, we, we should go back to the thought that John Dibdahl wrote. The Sabbath is egalitarian. God shows no favor in this beautiful gift of the Sabbath. He desires for everyone to experience the blessing of the Sabbath. If God desires for everyone to experience the blessing of the Sabbath, then should we not as well, as much to our control as possible, desire for everyone to experience the blessing of the Sabbath? And, and you may say, but if they're not a Sabbath keeper, how are they gonna experience the blessing of the Sabbath? Well, maybe it starts just by us as leaders saying to them, you know what? I'm a Sabbath keeper, and I know that that might not mean the same to you, but I want you to know that I want you to have a day in which you can rest, in which you can be blessed, in which you can experience your family. It's the beginning of a witness. It's an opportunity to be a witness to people. We need to think about some of these things. Sometimes we say, well, if they're going to be working anyways, as long as I don't know about it, I'm okay with it. But we should take every opportunity to say, "What well, you know what, you don't need to work for me on this day. You don't need to work for me on this day. I called my trash company here in Maryland, actually, not too long ago, and I said, I think you missed my trash cans. And they said, well, no, we came by. You maybe just didn't get them out in time, which is probably likely, actually. And uh, I said, okay. And they said, don't worry, you have, we have another day on, on, on Saturday. I said, no, that's okay. I mean, our trash cans were full, overflowing. In fact, I left them outside which was not smart that next day, and uh, raccoons enjoyed them thoroughly. But, uh, but, but they said, don't worry, we have, a, we have a Saturday pickup, and so just put them back out there, and we'll make sure we get them Saturday. I said, no, that's okay. I don't, I don't need you to, to do that for me. I'll just wait till the next Wednesday. Some of you say, well, that seems awful legalistic. Well, my thing is I don't need to add to anyone's burden. I don't need to add to anyone's burden. As much to the extent that it is within my control to resist that, I want to be able to not add to anyone's burden. Not because this earns me salvation, not because it earns me merit, but because God calls me as a Sabbatarian to bless others as much as I can by relieving as much burden as I can in their life. Even if they're working, it still is an opportunity for me to say, you know what, I'm not gonna add to that burden. So God calls us 
First, to our kids, to teach our kids, to help our kids see the beauty of the Sabbath. Then to relieve the burden from those who work for us. Then it says the cattles. And then it says, even to the extent of the strangers within thy gates. Strangers within thy gates. If you have your Bibles, open in Nehemiah chapter 13. I want you to see something here. In Nehemiah chapter 13. This one is one that I think is maybe sometimes most neglected, this idea of the stranger within our gates. In other words, this goes related to the trash thing as well. If it is within our control to provide the opportunity for others to, to have a bit of their burden released on the Sabbath, we should look for that opportunity. Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 15. Nehemiah says, in those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing, and, and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Israel on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Nehemiah here is talking to his fellow Hebrew people. And he's, make, he's encouraging them not to, not to do this. But then verse 16, look at verse 16. It said, men of Tyre dwelt there also. Men of Tyre. These are pagans, they're not believers, they're unbelievers, they're not Sabbatarians, they're not Jews, they're not people that, that follow the law of God. He said, men of Tyre also lived there who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was that the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not open till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. So he's saying, we're keeping it all away from our people. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them. So these are the merchants and, and sellers. These are the, the people who are not Sabbatarians. These are the people who are not believers. They're just hanging out until Sunday to come in and sell. He says, so I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Now I wanna say something here. Nehemiah went about things in a bit of an Old Testament way. If any of you disagree with anybody in regards to their Sabbath keeping, do not lay hands on them, I ask you, please. Even gentle hands, just everyone just keep our hands to ourselves and we'll be, we'll be better for it. But the point of this text, the point of this text as I see is that we have a responsibility, brothers and sisters. We are not individuals like this world is trying to teach us that we are. We are not to be individualistic. We are part of a greater community, the body of Christ. And Christ sought to be a blessing to everyone, not just those who are for him, but also those who are against him. Think of his famous words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, 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 sought to, he prayed a blessing over those who were killing him, over those who were attacking him. The Sabbath is such a wonderful blessing to us. How can we look for opportunities to be a blessing unto others, to, to look for opportunities to relieve the burdens of others? Father, forgive them. Part of it isn't in our example. People observe the way we live. People pay attention to what we're doing. 
and they see us willing to stand for something and they, they want to know more about it. Exodus 20 and verse 10, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. God cares about the cattle. God cares about the, the sons and the daughters. God cares about the people that work for us. And God cares about those that we may just have a one-time encounter with, but it's not adding to their burden. Even the strangers within your gates. Which makes me think that we, in many ways, need to be more mindful, maybe. We need to be more mindful of adding needless work to anyone's life. Of adding needless work. Make sure you hear that, needless work to anyone's life. Because we can always try to rationalize things and qualify things. And some of us would probably rationalize some form of work. But, but needless work. Can it, can it be done later? I'm not actually one that's opposed to working in certain regards on the Sabbath. If my neighbor's toilet, if I had a widow neighbor, and, or even not a widow, anyone's toilet, and their toilet was overflowing, they probably wouldn't call me because I'm not very handy. But if they did call me, I would do everything I could to, to relieve their burden on the Sabbath. I'm not going to say, you know what, I'm going to let it run till Sunday and I'll be back. You know, I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm going to do whatever I can to, to relieve the burden. Part of many of you that are in the, in the health and medical institute, this is, this is why we as a church have, have said it's okay to, to work on these days because you're serving, you're, you're relieving the burden. But in what ways do we add needless work to others? In what way are we, we compromising our witness by, by saying no one should work, but we're okay if you work for me at this time? In what ways are we saying that the Sabbath, I, I appreciate the gift, but, but the gift is for me and not for you. Even though Jesus clearly shows within the context of the Sabbath that he wanted it to be a Sabbath blessing, an act of, of humanity to all people. I want to just close with telling you how this became very practical in my life and its continued growth process in my life. And I'm going to tell you a couple stories, and, I, and this is not to say that this is what you have to do. I just want to tell you how, practic how this is practically applied to my life. I'm not going to harass you and say, make sure you do what I do or anything like that, but I want to tell you about this. So I was, in, um, I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist, and I was raised in uh, uh, a part of the country where, where we all went out to eat on Sabbath. It was just something we regularly did. We all went out to eat. I didn't even know, I didn't even know that there were people that existed that didn't go out to eat on Sabbath. I honestly didn't know that until I got to college. That's the honest truth. And so we went out to eat, and we, you know, we went out with pastors' families. We went out with everybody. I didn't know it was even a deal. And we go out to, uh, we go out to eat regularly. When I was a freshman in college, I was at Union College, and I was in the cafeteria, and I was having a conversation with an individual. And I don't know, I guess we were making plans. It was a Friday, and I guess we were making plans for what we were going to do the next day. And someone overheard us. And later that afternoon, Friday afternoon, I was in my room, and I get this phone call. And it's this guy, Heath. I think his name's Heath. I think if I remember correctly, his name was Heath. And he calls me, and he said, hey, Chad, this is Heath. Can I come upstairs? I just want to share something with you real quick. I was a freshman. This guy was a senior. 
I was like, I guess, I don't know, okay. So uh, he comes upstairs and he sits down in my room. This is probably not the best way to do this, folks. So I'm just gonna give you a little hint. Uh, you know, it works at times, but it's probably not the best way to do things. So Heath comes up to my room and he sits down with me. He said, you know, I overheard your conversation today in the cafeteria. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I don't think I was saying anything bad. I don't think I was doing anything. He goes, you know, I heard about your plans for tomorrow, and I just want to ask you to think about something. He didn't even say directly what he was speaking of. I just want you to think about something. And he goes, why don't you open your Bible to Nehemiah 13? And uh, before I could even open my Bible, he's like, oh, here, I already, I already have my Bible. Why don't you just read my Bible? Put it on my lap. Again, not probably the best way to go about this, especially to a freshman kid with crazy spiked bleached hair that just, uh, just became a Christian like a a few months ago before. But anyways, and, uh, and he puts this thing on, and I read Nehemiah 13. And he goes, what do you think of that? And I'm, I'm uh, what do you want me to think about it? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. He's like, well, I just want you to think about that in regards to your plans for tomorrow and Sabbath. And he, he got up and he walked out. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, what a moron. I, what, what is that all about? This was the dumbest thing ever. Didn't even give it a second thought. Didn't even give it a second thought. A year later, a year later, I start dating this young lady. I'm now at Southern. I start dating this young lady. And uh, one Friday night after Vespers, I say, hey, I want to go grab something to eat. Do you want to go with me? And she said, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go. And so we go to Taco Bell, you know, because fancy dates in college. Uh, so we go to Taco Bell, and, and, and I say to her, do you want anything? And she said, no, no, I'm okay. That's okay. Um, I said, are you sure? You No, I'm okay. So I get my stuff, and we go, and we sit down, and we're sitting there, and um, and, uh, you know, she picks up my drink and has a sip and she picks up my burrito and, you know, gets a little bit. I've never understood why women say I don't want anything and then they just eat your food. Uh, I don't, I don't get it. But, but she, she, uh, and so I said, are you sure you don't want anything? Because I'm kind of a selfish eater. And uh, I'm like, um, are you sure you don't want anything? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. She goes, you know, I, I, I try to not go out to eat on Sabbath. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, am I offending you? I didn't notice, we just started dating. She goes, oh, no, no, you're not offending me. I still want to spend time with you. So I'm happy to, to be, I'm fine to be here, but I just would prefer not to, not to get anything. And I said, oh, okay. So I finished my food. And because we continued dating for quite a while, uh, I didn't go out to eat anymore for however many of the next months. Eventually we break up. And I still remember it very clearly. I was driving one Sabbath afternoon after church. I was driving to this Mexican restaurant. Her and I had broken up, and I'm driving to this Mexican restaurant, and I'm almost to this Mexican restaurant, and Nehemiah 13 pops into my head. And God says, you haven't been doing it for the last however many months. Why start now? And I drove home. And I drove back to the thing. And by the way, we have college students in here. If you want to help them not to have to go out to eat, why don't you invite them places because... I I had some hungry Sabbaths. Um, but, uh, and college students, any day, not just Sabbath, they love free food. Amen, college students? Man, amen. A lot of you love free food too, I see. Um, so, so, and it just hit me just like that. And it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't like, oh, suddenly like, oh, I've got to protect the Sabbath for others. But it was just in my mind. God's saying, you know, that table is your gate. And you control it. You don't need to add to the burden of others. It wasn't God saying, you better do this or else you're lost. Christy and I, I married, ended up marrying a girl that, that was raised that way. She's never done that. And we're not legalistic about it. We've been at weddings and the whole wedding party goes out and we don't say, well, we're not gonna be a part of it. And stand. We, no, we're not, we're, not, we're not legalistic about it. 
But to the extent that it is in our control, we say, how can we protect that? That's, that's one practical way that's played out in my life. A second practical way is this, is this, is Christy and I, we're married, we moved to Andrews, I'm making a whopping $12,000 uh, from my stipend. You know, when you're a grad student through a conference, you get a $12,000 stipend. So I'm making this whopping $12,000 stipend. Christine is working as a nurse, and, and in her part of her employment, she has to work on Friday night and Sabbath on sometimes. And Christine tells me after she works her first Sabbath shift, she tells me, I want you to make sure that you uh, write the check uh, that, you, that, you, that you pay my tithes and my offerings to the church, and I want you to give everything that I made on Sabbath to the church. I was like, well, why? She said, well, because, you know, I don't want to be working on the Sabbath. I was like, what? You, you are working on the Sabbath. So, I mean, and, and she said, when I have to go there to serve people, but I don't have to do it for my own gain, I can do it for God and for the people. And I was well, are you, you sure about this? Uh, you know, and, and so those hundreds of dollars, I mean, $27 an hour for a 12-hour shift, and she had me pay the whole thing to the church. A few years later, we moved to uh, California, and she's now a CRNA. She has call on the weekends, and they make quite a bit more money. And she says to me, now make sure that you give all of my call shift to the church. And what she taught me in that context is that it's not about laboring or, or necessarily serving someone else. It's about adding to someone else's burden or doing it for ourselves. Christine and I, we tend to be a little more strict on this than some other people. We're not saying anyone has to do like us. We don't do it because it's salvation. We don't think that it gains us any merit. We do it because Jesus has given us this blessing of the Sabbath, and as much as we can be a witness and as much as we can add to a blessing of another, we want to do that. And so this week, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You'll, you'll not hear a word about this from me. You're not going to have me asking you at the door, are you going out to eat or not? Don't worry about that. <laughs> Don't think um, you're going to have to lie to the pastor or anything like that. You're not going to offend me if you say, oh, we went out to eat here. We're not offended by that at all because it's not about salvation. It's about this is our personal conviction. But I want to ask you, in your life, not in those areas, but maybe other areas, how can you help to make the Sabbath a blessing for all, even those that don't even believe in the Sabbath? How can you make it a blessing for others? Ask God that this week to, to, to speak to your heart and to, and to convict you on that and to show you where that is. And as he speaks to you, then, then respond to that in like manner and watch how God blesses and, and uses you as a witness for him. I want us to pray now. Lord Jesus, we talked about something that's touchy, steps on some toes maybe. Lord, these are the ways you've convicted me and for years I wasn't convicted in these ways and I don't have any acts to particularly grind. But Lord, I do want us as Sabbatarians, I do want those who are in this room that are Sabbatarians, to be mindful of how we can use the Sabbath to be a blessing to others. To be mindful of us not adding burdens to, to those who are around us. Lord, I pray that, I pray that those who maybe are in here who, 
who are not Sabbatarians. Maybe they're just guests and they're wondering what this is all about. That, 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 that they'll know that this is not for salvation. This is not. We honor the Sabbath because we are saved. Because we are loved. Because we are cared for. So Lord, I pray that you'll bless us. Guide us. Help us to embrace the goodness of this day. And may we add that blessing unto others, I pray. In your name, amen.